0: listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene online at bethanynaz.org
1: Others' response to Jesus always interests me. Uh, For example, a third of the population of the world claim to follow Jesus' teachings. And so of the 7 billion people that live on the planet, over 2 billion claim to follow Jesus' teaching. But there are others Who seem to like Jesus, or as I read not too long ago, people who don't live like Jesus like Jesus. People who don't live like Jesus still like Jesus. And so, in my lifetime, I've had conversations with many people of the faith of Islam. And it's interesting to me when I talk to Muslims about Jesus, here's what they say to me about him. Probably seven, eight people in my life have said to me who are Muslim, Jesus was a very good man. You know, we believe that Jesus was a prophet of God. That's what Muslims say to me about Jesus. We believe that Jesus was a good man. In fact, we believe that Jesus was one of God's prophets. When you think about Hinduism, one of the most prominent figures in our time of of the Hindu religion would be Gandhi. And Gandhi was quick to say, I really like your Jesus. I have no problem with your Jesus. In fact, it is noted that Gandhi probably meditated, studied, spent time with the teachings of Jesus several times a day. And so I guess that there probably are people who are like fans of Jesus, but not really followers of Jesus. And then there are people who are followers of Jesus beyond just being fans. And a few years ago a guy named Kyle Eidelman wrote a book and I think he did a really good job talking about the difference of being a fan and being a follower. And so I realized that this morning when I stand up to talk to you that I'm talking to people mostly who would call yourselves followers of Jesus. And I realize there are some of you who are debating becoming followers. But if you are a follower of Jesus... Way more than just being a fan. What are Jesus' expectations of you? And so what does it mean for you to really follow Him? We're in a series called Transformed, and I've been challenging you to adopt certain practices or improve in certain practices. And they're really all practices of Jesus, right? So being in worship together, that's something that Jesus thought was really important. Or one-on-one time with God. Obviously, that's something that Jesus gave His life to. Or investing in a smaller group of people. I mean, Jesus was an incredible model of this. Or serving. I mean, Jesus took a towel, put it around His waist, and washed the disciples' feet. And that's the way that He lived His life. And He said, you should follow My example. Or giving generously of Himself and His means. He really owned nothing. Or giving His whole life to help people come into re- relationship with the Father. And so as I've been challenging you know, those practices and asking you to live like Jesus lived, I- I've been wondering if some of you are saying, Man, Rick is really asking a lot of us these days. I mean, when you think about it, our pastor is asking us to change a lot about the way that we're living our lives, many of us. And I've kind of wondered if some of you are saying... Hey, Rick, you're really expecting a lot from us right now. And I've wondered if some of you think I'm expecting too much. When I think about our relationship, the pastor who preaches to people almost every Sunday, I'm really being challenged in my spirit to think that maybe I have not expected enough over the years that I've been here. And I've not lived with greater expectation about how you and I are living our lives and living out this faith. And the truth of the matter is, I think that if you're going to say that you are a follower of Jesus and I'm going to say that I'm a follower of Jesus, then we should live our lives intentionally like Jesus lived his life. And I think what I'm asking you is just baseline stuff. This is just the beginning. If Jesus was passionate about worshiping with others, then I think we should be passionate about worshiping with others. And I think that should be a high priority in our lives. And if Jesus was passionate about spending one-on-one time with God... I think you and I should be passionate about spending one-on-one time with God. And if Jesus was passionate about investing in a smaller group of believers, then I think you and I should be passionate about investing in a smaller group of believers. And if Jesus was passionate about living his life as a servant, then I think that you and I should be passionate about living in our lives as servants. And if Jesus was generous with all of his resources, then I think we should be generous with all of our resources. And if Jesus gave his whole life died on a cross so that others could be in right relationship with God, then I think we should give our lives to helping others be in right relationship with God. So if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, then I think we should intentionally live like Jesus lived and practice what Jesus practiced. So I just want you to know right now this morning... My expectations of you are very high. And not only when we involve ourselves in these practices, do we live the way of Jesus. But these practices are transformational in our walk with God and in our daily lives. It changes us. So, you received a worship folder when you came in and you received a place to take notes. And if you want to grab it and write down a few things today, I think it might be helpful... Because many of you are going to be in small groups this week. I can't tell you how many people have been saying to me, Pastor, we've got a small group for these 40 days together. I was walking in this morning and this lady said, Pastor, look at what we're doing in our small group. I'm so excited about it. We're meeting tonight. And so many of you are meeting. And so if you jot down a few notes, it might help you when you get in your group to talk about what was said in the sermon, okay? Here's what I want to say to you this morning. If you and me are going to become more like Jesus, then we're going to have to spend one-on-one time with God like Jesus spent one-on-one time with God. If you and me are going to become more like Jesus, then we're going to have to begin to pray like Jesus prayed. If you and me are going to become more like Jesus, then we are going to have to live our lives in communion with the Father in prayer and in the Word like Jesus lived His life in communion with the Father. And so let me take you to the Gospel of Mark, okay? Because in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, there is this really awesome example of how Jesus lived His life in one-on-one time with the Father. And it's in chapter 1. So open your Bible if you will. Go to Mark chapter 1 and we'll start with verse 35 so we believe that mark's gospel is the first gospel that was ever written so therefore matthew mark luke and john mark writes his first and we believe that he got all of his material from listening to simon peter one of the apostles of jesus preach okay so this is the recorded sermons basically of simon peter he begins by saying this is the good news the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. When he gets a few verses into it, he brings Jesus into Galilee. And Jesus says, the time has come because the kingdom of God is near. So you know what Jesus was saying? You can be part of the kingdom of God now. Now. He goes to a village called Capernaum in Galilee, and he heals this guy, and then he heals this other lady. And literally, Mark says it this way in his gospel. The whole town showed up at the door of the house where he was staying. I mean, Mark says the whole town of Capernaum shows up at the door of the house where Jesus is staying, and they bring people who have diseases, who need healing, and people who have demons who need to be driven out. And so Jesus spends that day healing people and driving out demons. So you can imagine what his life is like. I mean, he's kind of like a rock star all of a sudden in our society. People are showing up to be around Jesus. So for him to spend one-on-one time with God, this is what's got to happen. Verse 35, you ready? Here we go. So very early in the morning, the morning after the whole town showed up at the house where he was staying with people who were sick and needed healing, very early in the morning, the next morning... While it was still dark, what does Jesus do? He got up, he left the house, he went off to a solitary place, and what did he do there? He prayed. So Jesus understands, if I'm going to spend one-on-one time with God, I've got to make room for it in my life. And so very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus gets up, he leaves the house, he goes to a solitary place where he prays. Now listen to what happens to his followers. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everybody's looking for you. And he's obviously talking about all of those people who showed up at the house the day before. Well, they've come back. They want to see some more miracles. They've got other people who are sick who need to be healed. Everybody's looking for you. And so instead of Jesus responding, Well, then let's go to where all those people are. Here's what Jesus says. Let us go somewhere else. To the nearby villages, so I can preach there also, because that is why I have come. So, in the heart of Jesus, there is always a focus on mission. This is what the Father wants me to give my life to. And so that's what happened. So, he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So this is the word of God for us. Amen. Once in a while I get a phone call. And honestly, it's pretty often, it's pretty common. And it's a hard phone call. It's a family that's a part of our church who is experiencing some really tough times. Been to a doctor, gotten a really bad diagnosis. A marriage has fallen apart. It's not going to stick together. Somebody's really concerned about a teenage son or daughter. Somebody's in the hospital. Something difficult is coming to someone's life. And most of the time when I get those phone calls, they're life-altering experiences. So I got one of those phone calls on Friday. And so I listened as closely as I could listen. And then I tried to share words of encouragement. And after I did that, I prayed. And then we hung up the phone. Do you know what? I never have to say to that family. I never say to that family, you should really involve yourselves in some of these practices. You know what you might consider doing? You might consider coming to church. I never have to say that because I promise you on Sunday that family is going to be in church. I never have to say to that family, maybe you should consider praying about this. Because what they usually say to me is, we have been praying ever since we've heard the news, pastor. And we want you to pray with us. I never, ever need to say to that family, you know what? You should surround yourself with some other believers. They can offer you some real support during this time. You can walk together through life during this. No, they're saying we've already called all of these people and they're right here with us and the church is coming around us. You know what those people are doing when life-altering experiences come into their lives? They are practicing their faith. They are practicing holiness. They are following the life patterns of Jesus. Not so with Jesus. You don't find Jesus getting up early in the morning and finding a place to pray because a life-altering experience has occurred. You find Jesus getting up early in the morning and finding a place to pray because that was the way He lived His life. So, honest, open confession. You ready? Can you handle me confessing to you? I understand the life-altering experiences. When we go through something challenging at our house, I promise you, we pray like crazy. I promise you, we get close to others and start sharing our journey with them. I promise you, when we go through life-altering experiences, we cannot wait for Sunday morning to come so that we can get with believers and worship with everybody else and have Christians around us. But not so with Jesus. I mean, when I read the Gospels, you know what I read about Jesus and the time that He spent one-on-one with God? Here's what I read. Jesus prayed when He was alone and He prayed when He was in public. He prayed before he ate, and he prayed before he performed miracles. Jesus prayed before he made important decisions, and he prayed before he healed people. He prayed for himself. I remember reading about him praying for his disciples, and I remember about Jesus praying for the church. I even read about Jesus praying for kids when they brought kids to Jesus. And it's no surprise to me that Jesus prayed that awful night when he found himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's no surprise to me that when Jesus hung on a cross, what did He do? He Because that's what He did. Jesus lived this life of prayer. In fact, when Luke tries to tell us about Jesus and this life of prayer and one-on-one time with God, here's the way Luke describes it in chapter 5, verse 16. He says, Jesus Often, okay, often, Jesus often withdrew to very quiet places where He, because that's the life that He lived. And so Luke just says this was the pattern of His life. Very often, Jesus would get away, He would withdraw to some kind of quiet place, and He prayed. That was the way Jesus lived. And if you are going to become like Jesus, and if I am going to become like Jesus, then we are going to have to spend one-on-one time with Jesus. Now, I'm stopping right here because prayer is much more than a duty or a responsibility or something that I check off a list in the morning that I have done or something that I do to try to earn good favor with God. See, I'm praying, so now probably you should be blessing me more because I'm doing some of the things I should do. I was reading in the Gospel of John couple of years ago and I read an answer to a question and here's what I found Jesus saying in the Gospel of John. You ready? I love the Father. You know what else I heard Jesus say in the Gospel of John? The Father well <laughs> he loves the son he loves me Would you love this I love the father And the father well well he loves me And all of a sudden I had an answer to a question that I've been asking over the years so why do you keep slipping off to pray <laughs> And why do you go up to a mountain and you spend the whole night praying there? And I think the answer is more simple than we've ever made it. Oh, why do I do that? Because I love the Father. And the Father loves me. I I can't tell you how many times in a week I will say to somebody, we got to get together and catch up. And, and what I'm wanting to do is, is go eat something with you or go hang out with you or find a way to spend some time together because what I really want to do is find out what's going on in your life and I want to tell you what's going on in my life and I want us to kind of catch up. And I say it to people all the time, we got to get together and catch up. And I've come to a place in my life, listen to me, that I believe with everything inside of me. Now to say this is a big deal because it takes a while to get to this point, but I believe that prayer is nothing more than that. And if we make it something more than that, we are off track. It is saying to God, I want to get with you and talk because I want to catch up. There's a lot going on down here and I want to talk to you about it. And I really want to hear what you have to say about it. It's a conversation. It's a love relationship. I just want to hang out with the Father for a little while. And it's not about twisting the arm of God to try to get Him to bend to do what I want Him to do. If that's what prayer is to you, you're off track. And it's not about somehow saying that I prayed today and I check it off a list and therefore I should be finding favor with God because I'm doing the right things. It's about hanging out with the Father. God who created everything. And sometimes we just get together and talk. And it's awesome. And I don't think it's anything more than that. There's a lot to learn in this passage. I, uh, I was with Philly Shambo last week, and I'm really glad you got to meet him. gentleman from Africa who talked to you briefly. And I was telling him that the Swazi brothers and sisters teach me a lot. In the last 10 years, this church has been involved in a partnership with a small country in the southern part of Africa called Swaziland, a little country of only a million people, 120 miles wide, 80 miles. That's long instead of wide, by the way, and 80 miles wide. And I remember sitting down with a meeting with four district superintendents and I had a legal pad and I'd written out everything that I believe had been accomplished through the partnership. And so I wanted to have this conversation and so I made my list and I just thought about progress and accomplishments that have been made. And I wrote things down like uh, the building of churches, uh, putting roofs on churches, the establishment of a child development center, uh, the building of a dental clinic, which was huge in that little country... Um, the rehab of a hospital. I mean, I'm writing down all the things that I think the establishment of a child development center, just all those things that I thought, these, this is progress. These are the accomplishments of the partnership. But before I read my list to them, I said to my African brothers, tell me first what you think the accomplishments are. Shangwe raised his hand and I said, yes. And he said, I think the greatest accomplishments in this partnership have been the relationships that have been formed. He took me aback for a moment. I kind of adjusted and said, yeah, I can see where that's been a really positive thing. And he kind of talked on and on about the blessing of the relationships when Philemon waved at me like I'm next. And I said, okay. And when Shanghai finally finished, I said, Philemon, and Philemon said, "Um, I think the greatest accomplishments in this partnership also are the friendships and the relationships that have been formed. And he talked for 10 minutes. And Timothy is waving his finger at me like I'm next. And I said, okay, Timothy. And when it got to Timothy, Timothy said, I agree, the greatest accomplishments. And he began to talk about the different relationships and the value of those relationships. I'm a Westerner. You want me to define progress? Progress then I'm going to have to talk to you about buildings built, highways constructed, technology advancing. Not our Swazi brothers and sisters. All of that is okay, but it's secondary. You want to talk to them about progress? They're going to talk about relationships. Listen to me. It's the very thing that Jesus did not give into in regard to temptation. When we talk about what we're going to do with our day, we got a lot to get done. I mean, we're getting up in the morning and as soon as the light alarm goes off, I mean, we are, we're after it. We drive these tired bodies into a shower. We clean them off. We get them dressed and out the door. We got to go, man. There is a lot to get done. Progress has to be made. Nobody had more important things to do than Jesus. There are people to be healed. There are demons to be driven out. There is the kingdom of God to be established on earth. (laughs) And Jesus gets up early in the morning and He focuses on relationship. And after I focused on relationship, then we will work. Do you see this very clear order here? There is a very clear order in the passage that says, first it's relationship, then we will do the work. But we don't reverse those two we don't invert the order. The order starts like this I spend time first with God, and then I spend time with men. I spend first time with God in the relationship and then I will work on the work that has to be done. Then I will serve. But I don't ever put service before the prayer. That's backwards. I always put the prayer first. And Jesus never gave in to the temptation to reverse the order. We pray first. Because there is nothing more valuable than my relationship with God. I I sometimes say to you, you don't want me coming to the hospital to see you and pray for you. And you don't want to meet with me and talk about your marriage that may be in trouble. And you don't want me to come to the bedside of somebody that's dying that you love very much if I have not first spent my time alone with God as your pastor, right? Well, we're not that different. Let's pray together, okay? The Lord's Prayer. You want to say it with me? But we'll truly pray it from our hearts. Think about these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Do you know why we have those words? We have those words because one day Jesus was praying. And the reason Jesus was praying was because it was a way of life for Jesus. (laughs) It's what he did. And after he finished praying, one of his disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, Would you teach us to pray like that? Because if we want to be like you, then we have to pray like you. And so Jesus, when we listen to you pray, what happens is something stirs inside of us and we want to pray like you pray. Would you teach us to pray? And so Jesus gives them these words. It's a great way for you to get up in the morning and open your Bible to that passage where the Lord's Prayer is and just to take phrase at a time and just apply it to your daily life and pray those words. I don't know that it's necessarily just this prayer that you recite every day, but it's a guide as to how you pray. And what it tells me is that prayer is something we learn to do. It's okay for you to say, Rick, I don't think I'm very good at praying. I want to learn to be better at praying. I want to learn to pray like Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, if you want to pray like me, then let me give you a guide that you can use. It's okay to say, I think I really need to improve in some areas of my life on this 40-day journey. And one of the areas I really need to improve on is my prayer life. And I think I can learn to pray better. If I study what Jesus has given me, it's okay to say that. It's okay to give yourself to cultivating this discipline in your life and to learn to pray. I have to be a bit creative, you know. For me, it needs to be kind of the same time every day. A Christian leader in our country said Not long ago, in a simulcast that I was watching, it is possible to get out of your bed in the morning with the first thing that hits the floor being your knees. It's possible. It's possible to do that. It's possible to roll out of your bed in the morning and slide off onto the floor, and the first thing that hits the floor are your knees. And he said, that's what I do every morning because I need that discipline so bad in my life. You might try that. It's not a bad way to get out of bed. Sometimes I write prayers. Sometimes I try to pray and I can't focus. I got all kinds of focus issues. You probably are aware of that. And so sometimes I have to start writing. I just get my laptop and I just start writing my prayer. And when I write my prayer, it's very different than when I just pray audibly, when I just pray from my heart. And then there's other days when I just want to pray from my heart. I got so much to say, I just can't say it all. I just want to talk. So what if you just give yourself to cultivating the discipline of prayer? Get creative with it. There ought to be some good news, right? Just feel like I've been screaming at you for 20 minutes at this point? Okay, get that? So here's the good news. Let me give you some words of a guy whose name is Richard Foster, okay? They're really good words. To pray is to change. You know what that tells me? You aren't stuck. Transformation is a possibility in your life. We've been asking the question, can you change? Yes, you can change. God can change you. Prayer is to change. Prayer is the central avenue Richard Foster believes God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer. Did you hear those words? Listen to that. I should say it again. If we are unwilling to change, we will eventually abandon prayer. Because the closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. To pray is to change. I think about this early church, you know and and I 'm telling you, if we were going to start a new denomination today, we would not use the early church as a model. I mean, they had nothing right? They had no buildings. Do you understand the early church did not have one building, they had nothing like this right here, nothing like this, nowhere, none. they didn't even have a little small, but they had nothing they didn't have money. They didn't have a seminary to train a pastor. They did no pastoral training early on. They had nothing to do with it. I mean, they had nothing. And they were being persecuted. People were saying, you've got to stop talking about Jesus or you're going back to jail. We can't help it. We're still going to talk about Jesus. And you think about the impact they had on the world. And I think about Paul's words and he says, you know what, when we came to to you, we did not come with a message or preaching with persuasive and wise words, but we came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And somehow you get the sense that they were understanding this teaching of Jesus. And they were looking at His life and they had this understanding of this intimacy with the Father. And the teaching and the narrative of the Early church goes like this. As you read it in the New Testament, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. I want you to pray without ceasing. I don't want you to worry or be anxious about anything, but I want you to pray about everything. They were not running on empty And prayer becomes priority, not secondary. I wonder how many of you would say to me, Rick, if I had more time, I would pray more, but man, my schedule, you should see it. I've got to make progress. There's stuff to be done. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't give to that temptation. The prayer is the priority. Well, I should wrap up here. Uh, I went to to visit a a little couple uh, who are unable to be a part of our church because of their health. On the right is Tommy. On the left is Helen. So guess what the 76 stands for? Wedding anniversary. Guess what the 100 stands for? That's her age. That was her birthday. Tommy, he's much younger. He's only 97. (laughs) Retired Nazarene minister's the precious people. So, when I moved here four years ago, somebody says to me, there's a man, and you don't know him, but he and his wife pray for you every day. John Miller says to me, Rick, there's a guy. You've never met him. Unless you go to see him, you won't ever meet him. He's unable to come to church anymore, but he prays for you every day of his life. He prays for Rick Harvey. Well, I wanted to meet him. And so I went and I met him and I thanked him for praying for me. And I got to see him another time or two. And just recently I learned that he is now being cared for by hospice. And so I wanted to get over and see him again. And so I went this week. And to talk to him, you have to get pretty close to his ear. And you have to speak pretty loudly. And I said, Tommy, I appreciate so much the fact that you've prayed for me. And he was gracious. And his little 100-year-old wife said, At our age, it sometimes feels like that's all we can do is pray. Yesterday was unusual in that I went to a funeral where a lady and her kids and her grandkids and family and friends celebrated the life of her husband. And then last night I was at a wedding and I watched this other female, this younger girl, take the hands of a guy that she's going to spend her life with. Kind of went to bed feeling good. A little weird trying to sort all of that out. And I really began to think about my life and when Annette and I got married and now as we're getting older. You know what we think about at our age? We think about... Where could you buy a really good mattress? You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of how we... You've seen that pillow commercial on television. We're, we're, we're going to get one of those. And you just kind of see your life moving. You, and you're realizing one of these days, I don't know if I'll live as old as Tommy and Helen, but I mean, I mean, Annette and I, we're moving on, you know? And so when you get to the end of your life, think about that. And people describe you, these were people of prayer. It doesn't just connotate that they had this discipline of doing this thing. What it says to you is that these were people who lived in close relationship to God. He was a friend to these people. I mean, they were, they were tight. You know. I realize I can't challenge you on a 40-day journey and say you should pray more, which you should, and I should too. We'll fall short. We'll run out of gas. Um, we'll flutter out in a while. We must experience God's power coming into our lives and changing us. And he may even do it through this practice of prayer. And our motivation to pray is not because I ought to, but because I love the Father. And the Father is nuts about me. And I want to talk. So maybe this morning as we close, That's something you would like to pray about. Maybe there's other things you want to pray about. And I've asked some people to help me this morning. So those of you who have asked, would you mind standing right now? And would you just move to those places I've asked you? And Annette will be here to help you down front. And Doug Adams will be in the back to help you at the break, okay? Sometimes this gift of prayer that God's given us is used well when we pray for one another. And, um, and sometimes my best memories have been when I got to put my hands on people and just pray for them. Some of my best memories are when people have laid their hands on me and prayed over me. And so I've just asked a few people to come together this morning and just stand here along the front and back at the break. And they're just here for you. And so you can just kind of look around and see who's here and identify people. And it may be that you want to come and say to one of these people who are here, would you pray for me today? Would you would you take a moment to lift me to the Father? Now, you can, you can tell them as much or as little as you want to tell them, okay? You could even say, just, just pray for me. That's all you have to say. Or you could say, this is what's going on in my life, and this is what I'm asking you to pray about. And so let's all stand together. In a moment, we'll sing. And we'll spend a little time together here. But before we go, I just thought maybe before we leave, we might ought to pray together. And so let's spend this time with the Father. And if you want someone to pray for you this morning, just step out, go to the back, come to the front, go to the sides. There'll be people there to pray for you.